0: Building the good life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial. You know, for me, self-confidence comes from just trying. I knew I wasn't going to be the best basketball player. I was only school with Cameron and Dollar. You know, Mm. I knew Cameron was going to win a championship when we were 10. I knew I wasn't going to play baseball or like my cousins who were throwing 77 miles an hour at 13 years old, you know. So I had to find what I was good at, you know. And the things I was good at was art, talking, debate, you know, those things. So I embraced the things I was good at. I built pride around those things. And I had a group of friends around me where my talents are needed to call upon. You know, they called me up. When the police stopped us, Michael, you're talking. Mm. You know, so I knew what I was good at. So my confidence grew out of knowing what I was good at and doing those things. Not out of envying and not out of wanting to be something other than myself. And then when Kim Watson told me I was cute, it was, it was <laughs> yeah, she told wait. me that in third grade. It was a wrap. <laughs> Michael Santiago
1: render. Better known by his stage name, Killer Mike. He's an American rapper, actor, and an activist. But that does not tell the whole story. I'll get back to that in a minute. Mike made his debut on OutKast's 2000 LP, "Stanconi" and later appeared on their Grammy-winning single, The Whole World, from their greatest hits album in 2001. He has since released five full-length albums as a solo artist. He is the founder of Grind Time Official Records, Which he did in partnership with SMC and Fontana Distribution. In December 2008, he cut a deal with our friend, Atlanta rapper T.I., Grand Hustle Records. Since that time, he has exploded in relevancy. He's known as a social and political activist, focusing on subjects including social inequality, police brutality, and systemic racism. In addition to addressing uh, these themes of racism and police brutality in his music, he has also delivered several lectures. That's right. He's a lecturer at colleges and universities. He's written about social justice, appeared on business shows, engaged in the political stage. He was born in Adamsville neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia, on April 20th, 1975. Uh, very notably, his father was a policeman his mother was a florist. Very much like me and my wife, reminds me of butterflies and eagles. His grandparents helped to raise him. In the Collier Heights neighborhood and something else we have in common, he went to Frederick Douglass High School. And the man who ran the Freedmen's Bank that I'm so passionate about was Frederick Douglass. That bank was chartered to teach free slaves about money in 1865. Now, I said there was more about him that I did not mention, Well, that really means that the bio did not mention it. Uh, He's hiding in plain sight. As Jay-Z would say, he's not a businessman. he said, I'm a business man. (laughs) He also is a partner in Greenwood Bank or Bank Greenwood. It's not an FDIC-insured bank. He'll talk a little bit about that. I know he's dabbling in some real estate and music publishing and producing and the backside of the business industry, the music industry. He has a barbershop. Swag, which I'm sure he's gonna talk about. Uh also, uh, he is a bad brother. He's making smart sexy. He's a builder. He's my brother, he's my friend. Keller Mike. How you doing? It's all good. It's good to see you. Good to be seen. Better yeah. seen than viewed. Oh real. Better <laughs> so if this is a conversation about building. Uh-huh. You know, we can say building for what, building when, but I, let me let me be provocative and suggest that there's never been a more important time yeah. to be a builder in general. But certainly if we're saying that this, that this is a moment in history and history does not feel historic when you're sitting in it, you know that, you're a historian too. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that moment is not, in fact, historic. Dr. King walked this whole same city we're in, Atlanta, for 13 years and Absolutely. went to parent-teacher night and,
0: Absolutely.
1: you know, the grocery store, whatever. I'm sure people... So, oh, that's Dr. King. But it wasn't like every date moment was dramatic. Now, no. we we're talking about now moving. That's more in the su- suites in the streets. Yeah. More about civil rights than civil rights, social justice through an economic lens. So l- won't you push back on me, if I say that, uh, do you agree or do you challenge me that this is now social justice through an economic lens? A new agenda is at least in part uh, wealth
0: creation and business. Well, I I can't disagree with you because I'm a product of wealth creation. For you know that what I found is that I don't marry to any extreme. I've been in my time, you know, a fist pumping, shouting radical that yelled, you know, we should lean heavy into socialism and. The proletariat should have those rights. And
1: Did you say socialism? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, like it's going to be a hot conversation. I believe
0: in some forms of democratic socialism. Okay. Public school is is a socialist concept, if okay. arguably. Be. I happen to have went to an, an unbelievably good so um public school in Collier Heights Elementary School okay. and later Frederick Douglass High School. Right. So it benefited the me The public well. good. That's yeah, what we yeah, yeah, were yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, the public good. You know, yeah. Um. do I want my money my, um regulated by government and do I want... You know, I currently pay about 39% tax on a dollar. You know, do I want, do I always like that? No. What I like for the 10 cent extra that they like to add to be allocated. I've seen it. Yes. So, but what I've seen is, and what I say I'm a product of wealth, of wealth is my great grandparents were the children of people who were enslaved. Mm. Their first thought should have been of themselves and their own happiness and enjoyment. My great grandmother, my great grandfather, um, N.H. Blackman and Truzella Blackman. They could have just enjoyed themselves. They could have enjoyed not perpetually living in servitude. Mm. But what they did was they worked as sharecroppers. They worked their butts off their fingers to the Mm. bone. They bought over 40 something acres in Alabama, of which some some the state had to buy back because of an imminent domain, because of creation of a highway. And they made sure that each of their nine children had an opportunity to own land and to have a start through education. Because my great grandparents owned the farm, they could sell the stores, including white stores. Those stores would then pay them the profit that was paid, allowed my grandparents to go to a Methodist school, to my grandmother. My grandfather, on the other hand, his mother left. I mean, his father left when he was 10. He had to work in a sawmill, in a lumberyard, didn't have to leave him anything. So he had to work and um, take part in bootlegging to make sure as a young man that he had something to give us. My great grandparents' farm is still in my family's name. Um, my family still receives money every January or so from a lumber company that owns it. So, Where, I'll, I'll, in Tuskegee, Alabama. I Tuskegee, Alabama. The same place that college students use red clay to make the bricks to build Tuskegee Institute. My grandmother wanted nothing more for me than, than to go to Tuskegee. I ended up going to Morehouse instead. I was like, I just can't go back there. I was too bored, Grandma. That was before I realized how lit their homecoming was. But I, um, so I had to understand that at some point, people, generations before me, made an investment in me. Yes. My grandparents then were not only owners of the house. They were in, they owned additional house. That house was used to create um, a vacation fund, savings fund for me and my sisters. They bought us stocks and bonds when we were really young. So I had to realize a lot of the things that I thought I was fighting against as a child were what gave me the ability to fight against right. it because I was a product of it. Right. And what I had to understand was an uh, older black gentleman told me one time, you're either going to be, you know, you say you were born in America. You can't help that. You're gonna be a participant in the capitalist system or a victim of it. Amen. And since I was cutting grass at about 12 years old, and I thought that, man, if I can get three more of the kids to cut grass with me, I could probably pay them at this rate. Since I buy the gas, I got the lawnmower, I could pay myself this rate. I had figured out that it's good to be an owner. My mm. wife and I were having a discussion today when she was like, it's good that you no longer tell people what you make. She said, because sometimes when you tell people what you make, they tend to think you're the more. I say, yeah, I say, but I'm not cut like that. I say, I've sat next to people that tell me they got $40, $50, 60000000 million deals. I never envied one wanted that. She said, yeah, but you've never viewed yourself as an employee. She said, so you don't have time to worry about it. She says, you hear it and you get inspired by it. Right. And then you say, if my friend can do it, I can do it too. I remember sitting next to one of my dear friends when he got a $40 million deal. Right. And the only thing I was happy for him, after he left the room, everybody else grumbled and complained and talked about what they should have gotten it. And I realized that she's right. Like, I've never viewed myself as simply an employee. I've always viewed myself as someone who can, who must, who will. So I can't, you know, argue with how people, you know, their point of view of me. But what I know is I'm a product of two black people in the very deep and rural south in Tuskegee that decided they were going to make sure their children had it a little easier and their children's children had greater opportunity through being able to be educated and having something. So.
1: He just dropped like some intellectual, financial, literacy genius from from, <laughs> from, from like the west side of Atlanta up, right? And, and just to clarify, he, he he mentioned the word socialism. What he really, my interpretation of that is he means the public good. Yeah. And I agree with him on the, that, that we have a responsibility to socialize. Uh, our, uh, our assets for, I mean, why is education, which should be a public good now a private asset, right? Mm. Education should be for everybody. It should be. Uh, so own, Shimon Paris told me, I was in Jordan once, that people were going to have a problem with my work and criticize it. And he said, Mike, he said, when they say that, John, you tell them, even if you want to distribute money like a socialist, you have to first collect it like a capitalist. Yeah. Tell me, man, how did you get so dang on smart? I mean, I, I mean, I've heard. I, I heard. No, 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 let me set this up. I, I first heard you rip, rap, or financial literacy rap. I don't mean music rap. Financial literacy rap, mm-hmm. business rap, without a script, without um, with without with no notes. I, really, three times. One at my Hope Global Forum. Yeah. You just you just went in there with Tip Ti and a few other, and you just laid it out. Mm-hmm. And you cleared the floor. I mean, you knew exactly what you were talking about, like, as if you were coming out of a business school. Number two, you were on CNBC, yeah. and you laid it out. And I, I read some other business publication. There was an interview, and, and you couldn't tell that you were not a captain of industry. But you are completely down with your community. You're, like, yeah. you're, you, you don't switch up. You are the same dude. Yeah. How did you get so dang gone, smart, and down to earth at the same time?
0: Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't consider myself smart. I consider myself a willing student in every situation mm. I go. I just sat with a younger brother who's young, and I went to Morehouse for a year, and then I left to pursue music. I went to a brother who graduated who now is a banker, had a meeting with him a few hours ago, Brother Ben. And I told him, I said, I'm sitting down as a student. Doesn't matter if I'm older than you. Doesn't matter if you. I've seen more. None of that matters. What matters is that you know more about finance and industry than I do, so I am not only someone who's about to do business with you, also, I'm a student. So anything that I can learn, I'm going to learn. And I've always been like that. Like, I'm here to show up for my ears open. You know, as much as I talk, I listen a lot more. That's right. <clears throat> my grandparents, like I say, they taught they never hid the truth. From my sisters and I, my youngest sister, LaShonda, <clears throat> who was raised by my grandparents with me. They sat me loving LaShonda down. My grandmother showed us how to balance the checkbooks. They taught us, you know, why you buy sh- should buy a stock or bond, why you should save money. My youngest sister got it so well, she went down to dealer became an accountant. Now she <laughs> makes sure people and companies don't go broke. <laughs> okay. I wish I would have listened more. So I have to give my grandparents, um, Willie and Betty, a lot of credit because they told us by the time we were born, it was too old to waste time, and they didn't have time to talk to us like children. They talked to us like we were equal, like we were little human beings. So right. i got to give big credit to them, and i got to give credit to the to institutions that paid a big part. From Harrington Daycare Center, Ms. Harrington sent me into kindergarten reading whether it was Mr. Twiggs, the principal of my elementary school, or the numerous teachers, many of whom went to historically black colleges and universities, their life's mission was to make sure that we went into the world prepared. Um, one of my favorite teachers in high school, at Frederick Williams High School, was a man named Bill Murray. who's co-owner of Murray Brothers Funeral Home. And I tell people, the class was art. I was in the Art Magnet, I mean, not art, but the Art Talent Center program. I knew how to draw, knew how to sketch, knew how to paint. But I say he taught us how to be entrepreneurs. You know, Whoa. he was the first person to tell us you should be trying to buy dilapidated houses in the Bluff, son. You can knock it down and just make a parking lot while the Falcons play until change happens. He's That's seventy-two right. years old now. That's right. Change. Change is happening. happening. <laughs> That's get right. What I, you <laughs> know <laughs> what I'm saying? Straight up. So, <clears throat> what I did was paid attention and I believed. And then I, you know, I remember. That's a billion-dollar neighborhood now. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it is. And, and we own stuff there. That's right. me and my wife. So did me too. Yeah, but I remember, you know, I remember just, I remember just seeing people. Cause I grew up in the Carrier Heights, so working class people, and there were like my grandparents, middle class people were there. Um, I remember Dr. Zuela, uh, well, Dr. Harris, who was Zuela Harris, his mother, who was a a psych professor over at Georgia Tech. They lived in our neighborhood. Raheem Biyah, who I think now is dean of technology over at Tech, mm. grew up in my neighborhood. So I grew up around a lot of kids who were smart. So it was cool to be smart. It was cool to learn. And and being smart is really just about being willing to learn. So. You know, I can't say that was a magic moment. I could just say every step of the way, I wanted to learn a little more. I wanted to know a little more. I wanted to understand how Herman Russell was rich. Because if it wouldn't have been Her- for Herman. Herman
1: Russell, just so if you don't know, Herman Russell is, was the wealthiest black man in America, at least in real estate. Mm-hmm. And, and to this day, Russell Company is the largest black-owned company, in, mm-hmm. at least in real estate in the country.
0: Go Google, and, Google, Google some of the names right. that we're saying. So whether right. it was Herman Russell's, house that I would ride by on my bike as a kid and look and say, how would you get a basketball court and then a tennis court, you know, and later have the opportunity to buy. And
1: an indoor pool. Yeah, indoor pool.
0: Like how how do you do that to now, you know, God bless the dead, just a few weeks ago having buried Noel Khalil who founded the Columbia Company and also real estate developer who first worked for Herman Russell. Mm. Took a $60,000 pay cut to work for Herman Russell and say he learned more making less money Mm. and was able to build something on his own. So I've always just been a willing student.
1: Quincy Jones says it takes 20 years to change a culture yeah in the last 20 years I think we've made dumb sexy we've dumbed down and mm-hmm. celebrated it but now people are starting to make smart sexy again but here's the here's the interesting thing you said growing up you were already around you always were trying to be around smart people okay yeah. cool got that I understand that generation right after the civil rights movement that that whole, that whole piece we can get away with it today what I find interesting two things People make assumptions about you. They see you coming in with some 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 chilled out jeans. Yeah, <laughs> you got your, you got your Nikes on. Yeah, you got your T-shirt on. You know, you got your, you got a little bit a little bit of bling, not too much, right? Nah,
0: just my mom uh, and grandma.
1: Yeah, that's all. But but people are not looking that closely. Yeah, yeah. People are making assumptions, mm-hmm. right? About well, particularly if you're not from our community. Absolutely. And I would never. I don't think they would ever assume uh, or presume that you that all this intellect is inside of you. You don't care because it, not one ounce of your self-esteem depends on somebody's acceptance of you. Yeah. So that's self-esteem, not just confidence. I want to know where that came from. The other side of this piece, though, is you're in the music business principally. Yeah. Where I would think, I would love to say I'm wrong here, that this sort of high-minded, high-frequency conversation we're having <laughs> right now may not be all that shined upon, but you are accepted as one of the crew. How did you negotiate all these worlds?
0: I, I, I can remember being in elementary school and s- sitting in class in Ms. Pryor's class, and I'm surrounded by, like, kids who I know they're going to college. They know I'm going to college because people like Asha Jackson are pushing us, and she's now chief judge um, <clears throat> out in DeKalb County. But as young as 11, Asha would tell us we were going to college. We we're like, college. She's like, we're going mm-hmm. to college. But I can remember being in elementary school class, even though Asha wasn't in that school. She just would encourage us, but, like, with Tarshell Peoples, it's now Dr. Tarshall. Um, and my friend Sleepy, who was far more intelligent than me in, in the streets, Sleepy was who didn't even go to my school, was on the court like, Fat way, fat way. <laughs> and I was just, I wouldn't look. I was just, oh, I'm not going to get in trouble. He was like, I see you after school. But before school, he'd be telling me, you go to school. He mm-hmm. said, we might not go to school today, but you going to school. So my friends encouraged me because they saw it early, and they didn't discourage it. But And I went to school <laughs> with a highly intelligent group of kids, but in different things. Cameron Dollar, 1995 NCAA champion at UCLA. His father, Coach Donald Dollar, coached Frederick Douglass. Cameron was smarter on a basketball court than probably anybody ever seen. And he was smart off the court, too. He got solid grades. But on the court, he was fiercely intelligent. So I knew intelligence mattered in sports. Okay. Uh, I, uh, Zuela Harris, whose mom, again, was a psychologist, Zuela was fiercely intelligent in class. So if I knew if I wanted to do well in class, sit next to Zuela, cause the competitiveness in me was gonna make me the same way I wanted to compete with Cam on a on a basketball court. So I sought the the competition, the friendly competition of my friends because I knew my friends weren't dumb. And I always liked reading. For some reason I was attracted. I'm dyslexic, but I was always attracted to reading. But because of dyslexia, you have to read things two, three four or five times. A lot sometimes. of
1: brilliant people are dyslexic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks in the music business, interesting, Nick. Quincy's dyslexic. Yeah. Uh, Ambassador Young's a little dyslexic. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, it, it's a, yeah, so go ahead. So, the, but it forces you to focus. Well, okay. So now you're not only reading, you're remembering because you're having to read, read stuff over and again. over. So by the time you master reading stuff once and twice, you learn how to lock stuff in. So it's just a, it's just a condition of circumstance and who you choose and who you choose to involve yourself with. I knew very young that dumb people um, or people who pretended or acted dumb did not get treated well.
1: Whoa, whoa, say that one more time.
0: People who acted or pretended to be dumb did not get treated well.
1: Mm. And
0: I was not into being treated badly. Mm. So I presented myself intelligently, you know, and and I, f- and I realized that the results came from it. Mm-hmm. So I valued intelligence, you know, mm. and, and I come from a family that welcomes and values intelligence too. So I'm lucky to have been in an environment that was very... Um, it cultivated that and I try to do the same thing with my children and other children that from my nieces and nephews the kids that are just family and friends I try to encourage that because there's nothing that beats a mind that wants to learn there's nothing that beats a curious mind
1: Who, if you're in Europe you got to be multilingual bilingual yeah, yeah. you got to translate you walk in these different worlds yeah. how do you translate and still keep that core of you and, and keep the respect from yeah.
0: Your, yeah, I think you let people know who you are from the start. Like, you know, like I, I went to Douglas, but I'm not going to, you know, being being in Frederick Douglass, you, I knew everybody. I knew everybody. I said, um, I knew the I knew the preachers and the thugs. Like I knew <laughs> I, like I, okay. I knew I knew everybody and right. I wanted to I wanted to know everybody. Everybody didn't move between groups of friends and different culturally different groups. I did because I instantly understood them. And I like some of my friends. Were, were thugging it and some of my friends were, were plugging away yeah. academically and I had no problem being with either of them because I was comfortable with who I was already. Like, I'm, you know, okay. I, didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't ashamed to be smart and I wasn't, I wasn't ashamed of my friends who was just like, hey man, we gonna stay and thug it because they were my friends too. But what I didn't do was succumb to other people's wants or wishes for me. What I did was decide what I wanted for myself. When I, when I heard people like Asha talk about college it made me know okay you got to go to college too you know when i heard mr murray talk about entrepreneurship it made me say okay i can do this too why am i not doing this you know so for me it was i've just never had i've never questioned it i just did it and because
1: because you're comfortable with it you're saying your your, your peers in the music business who may speak only one language yeah they're they're, they 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 respect you because you're authentic is that right yeah okay yeah. And do, do they, do, would you think that they admire it? They, they, I, mean, I never
0: thought about it. I just knew that they accept me for who I am. I accept them for who they that's are. Because I don't think these guys are dumb at all. If they choose not to, you know, if they choose not to use the King's English like I do, that's fine. Mm-hmm. They're intelligent. They're intelligent enough to buy property. They're that's intelligent it. enough to employ right. 10, 15, 20 people. That's right. You know, I've met some, I've met that's some right. hick talking folks <laughs> in North Florida, South Georgia. They have a lot more money than me and a lot of rappers. But you know their their family has owned 500 acres and grown for the government for the last 100 years that's you know it. what i mean that's so it. for me it's a it's a matter of you to me you show yourself unintelligent when you don't save when you don't live below your means when you don't know how to operate in a room that feels strange to you by simply being your most humble and honest self that's a sign of low intelligence to me Ooh. like TI uses a lot more you know, big words than I do. And, you know, he was the one that dropped out of Douglas. You yeah, know, he's smart. But, but he got a he got a firm hold of vocabulary. I tell him all the time, like, you sound like our principal, like Dr. Hill. Mm-hmm. So he you can't assume that man unintelligent. Mm-hmm. That man has read a thesaurus and mm-hmm. knows more synonyms and anonyms than any of us. And that brother is fiercely intelligent from a business perspective.
1: He but owns it, a lot of real estate around here and, and has no debt on it.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. He, got, he, he bought it straight out. So yeah. for me, I, I look for intelligence not only in how you sound, but like, what are the sound movements you're making? What's what the are common the sound sense movements we- you're making? Yeah, you know that's 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 truly intelligence to me. My grandparents taught me about living below my means. They taught me about doing things that freed you up. Everyone wants money, and everyone, you know, if intelligence equal money, every college professor would be a millionaire. You
1: know? Oh, oh, oh. that's wisdom there. If intelligence, re- repeat that again. If now. If
0: intelligence equal money, every college, you know, professor would be a millionaire.
1: That's right. You know. And, you you and, gotta be a PhD and a PhD too. You yeah, gotta do
0: something. Yeah, and that's not criticizing college professors. No, we need college need to, professors, right? But but, it, but it's just saying that simply being smart is not enough. It's not enough. Right.
1: Hi, this is John Hope Bryant, and the Building the Good Life podcast is brought to you by Prudential. For over 145 years, millions of people have counted on Prudential to help solve for life's most important financial needs, because at Prudential, they live their purpose to make lives better by solving the most pressing financial challenges of our changing world. Prudential will continue to focus on financial literacy, financial education, business development, and opportunities to provide financial products and services to those disproportionately impacted here and around the world this is doing well by doing good and i'm john hope right i want you to if you want to i want to cover a lot of ground on our session together so people leave better yeah I'm going to leave this podcast better but i want you to talk about how do you build self esteem you've yeah. talked around it i think it had a lot to do with your grandparents Yeah, people like ambassador andrew young and mm-hmm. others but how do you build self esteem i have another question for you
0: um i remember man i got called to play on the uh, you know you play shirts and skins basketball mm-hmm. I already got the camp counselor, Greg, put me on the Skins team. Man, by the middle of the game, I thought I was the man. I thought people (laughs) were cheering for me on the sidelines. So a couple of them was laughing at me, (laughs) my little belly flopping everywhere. But we won the game. That's it. And after that, I was, I was skins every game I had to be because mm-hmm. I was playing with the best players on skin. I just had to get the ball, protected in the paint, and kick it back out to my man right. who thought he was Steph Curry before that time. Right. So, you know, once I understood my purpose, you know, my mm-hmm. daughter just started playing JV ball. Not a shooter yet because she just started playing ball. And I said, well, they can't stop you from being a great defender. Mm-hmm. Put your hands up. Put your arms out. Don't give them an easy shot. You know, give them some trouble on the way up. That's you know, right? and, and they and even in the games they lost they lost by 2 to 3 points they they right. you know they're winning games so you know for me what I what I when she
1: lost she won she, she learned something
0: yeah absolutely and if you learn you're not losing That's so right. you know for me um self confidence comes from just trying I knew I wasn't going to be the best basketball player. It was only school with Cameron and Dollar. You know, mm. like Cameron, I knew Cameron was going to win a championship when we were 10. Right. I knew I wasn't going to play baseball or like my cousins who we were throwing 77 miles an hour at 13 years old, you right. know. So I had to find what I was good at, you know. And the things I was good at was art, talking, debate, you know, right. those things. So I embraced the things I was good at. I built pride around those things. And I had a group of friends around me where my talents needed to called upon. You know, they called me up. When the police stopped us, Michael, you're talking. Mm. You know, so I knew what I was good at. So my confidence grew out of knowing what I was good at and doing those things, not out of envying, and not out of wanting to be something other than myself. And then when Ken Watson told me I was cute, it was it was. <laughs>
1: yeah, she I told wait. me that
0: third grade, it was a wrap. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I I uh, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and looking at you with so much pride, man. And thank I, you. I see you and Ti and others in your ilk as, like, professional athletes of the voice and of creativity and of, yeah. the, and of, the, and of, of the creative space. I'm a pro athlete, I think, of the mind. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you, it's just like at the top of your game, hopefully, in your chosen space. Yeah. And using that skill and that talent to now uh, create, you know, uh, ripple influence yeah. in other places, which is your activism yeah. and your community involvement. You, you are uh, walking through the airport in LAX. When you're public, when you're public person, your friends don't need to hit you up on text. They just look at TMZ. (laughs) 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 And you were TMZ hit you and said, and I and you said something. Tell them what they they asked you. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll tell you you, because you you spout so much. You're asking you basically about you know the crime in LA. Yeah. And it's how do we what are we gonna do about this crime? And you said something really prophetic. You said basically if you want to stop crime in in LA or any place else. You need to have jobs, business, and a home ownership. Yep. The same things that stabilize to grow and yep. grow everyone else, everywhere else yep. should stabilize and grow us. Absolutely. You agree
0: with that? Absolutely. If you got home ownership, you don't have people living essentially like gypsies. And, you know, when, when, you're, when, when you're living like a gypsy, you might not care about the home you're renting. You might not care about the place where you are because you don't feel you're going to be there the rest of your life. The difference in a neighborhood like the one me and T.I. grew up in in the time we were growing up in, Is that people own their homes, so people cut their grass. People made sure their neighbor's grass was cut. If a roof was messed up, people got together and helped with that roof. They helped one another because there was a certain pride in being there. Um, If you can't make sure people are prideful, then you get neighborhoods that are dilapidated. Well, how do people assess pride? Men assess pride by what they can do, what they can protect, what they can provide for. If our young men, in particular, had trade skills to be able to build themselves, to be able to be hired by contractors that are building skyscrapers, mm-hmm. you know, as well as the houses that are around, there's a sense of pride that comes with that. For our kids that are using their mind or have an opportunity to come out of college without the ridden, without the the um, the burden of debt, then we can have those minds free to think anew of new, innovative ways to be making money. If you create that space and you create that opportunity, Andy told me there's nothing that yeah, happens. politically. And that's Andrew Young. Is yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, there's no there's there's nothing that happens politically that, that we're not aware of twenty years ahead that can be that, that's going to happen. So mm. we know that the conditions at the end of the last century were ones that would lead to certain places we are now, yeah. and we can start to self correct those things. If you take the average eighth grader now, if we start teaching that eighth grader financial literacy now, yep. Um, like my man. <clears throat> Um, Tony Rexler is into, you're into, um, Rendell Solomon is into, Robert um, Smith is into. If we start doing those things right now, then that eighth grader, by the time he graduates high school, is ready to function financially as an adult in a way that eighth graders aren't. If we start bringing back trades to high schools, T. Washington right. um, High School here not only offered academics um, 30 years ago, it offered trades, whether it was auto body mechanics, airplane mechanics at George High School, One of my favorite English teachers at my rival high school actually learned how to upholster chairs at Booker T. Washington High School. Then you get people who, while they're pursuing a higher education at your Morehouse, your Clarks, your Morris Brown and can still go out on weekends and do more than help with Habitat for Humanity, but build their own houses to sell on lots that their parents may have bought. That's right. And you start to fix the bigger problem because people who are prideful don't need to be running in the stores grabbing stuff out Taking it because they're able to buy it. That's right. They're, I called. A, well, my wife called a contractor um, on a property that I bought for her for a birthday a few years back, and she sent me a picture of him. And she said, "You hold on, a, no,
1: back up. Stop. Stop up. Stop. Slow. St- stop the press and stop everything. Slow. Slow the heck up. You a rapper. You a singer. You are. You are. You a TV personality. You're. You're an artist. You're a creative genius." You 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 know you got blinged up one side down and I seen that car. Go, wait 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 back up. Tell me what you said you bought your wife for her birthday
0: again. I bought her the house that her grandmother bought. Um, her grandmother worked as a janitor in the housing projects and owned a a, um, a liquor house, a shot house is what they would call okay. it in the black community where you buy because you used to couldn't buy liquor on Sundays in Georgia. Okay. And her grandma would sell shots of liquor and she saved up that money and bought her house on Norton Street. I bought that house back from the owner from a. Um, a, um, who her mom had sold to after her grandmother died I bought it for her for her birthday and that's
1: I'm, making smart sexy
0: baby And that's, that's my, what I'm talking that's about the only, that may be the only piece we don't own together that's just her house right so she sent me a picture of the contractor who'd been a D-boy back in the 80s and he still had his dope <laughs> wardrobe he still had on a big run to the 30 sides. years later I was, I was, okay this might not be cheap <laughs> you know what I mean? but <laughs> but you, you think about it you're a little boy you're coming out on the driveway in the 90s and you see him he's not a drug dealer. He's a contractor. Mm. There's a contractor here called the Modern Craftsman. You guys go check him out. VJ. He um he just did that beautiful the modern bedroom, craftsman. Modern craftsman, yeah. That's okay. searchable. Yep, yep, yep. It's okay. right on IG. But okay. that brother is on um, the brother who did um, T.I.'s bedroom that he put up, okay. and and that beautiful light and sofa. See, it looks like a club. It's so yeah, beautiful. T.I. got his own little uh, yeah. The bathroom design,
1: yeah. design yeah. Uh, pl- uh, divine for me by the stand up. Look, go on IG and look at it, it, check it out with T.I. design. Go ahead. I
0: asked that brother though. I said, where, where, why, what made you want to be a contractor? He grew up in Chicago. He said, man, I come out. He said, there's this one guy, man, who had beautiful cars, clothes. He said, but it was a van. He was a contractor. He owned a, this van. He was a contractor. He said, that made me want to do that because he saw mm. that example of success. He Remodel saw what I, we see. Yeah, I don't have to be a pimp, a player, or a gangster in order to have a nice car, in order for women to adore like me, in order to have a nice house. I just have to use my mind and my hands, and that's what he did. And Brother's one of the best contractors. I mean, he ain't he ain't building – Low class houses. He, mm-hmm. this brother's man. I'm talking about. I had him do my basement. I think, whew, Lord, have mercy, boy. I'm so glad he was finished. I paid him. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm gonna put some kids through college, but um, but for for me, it's just about putting the examples. I got to thank there's a white teacher named Mr. Jim Berto, and I say that because I grew up in an area where they, I just, I didn't experience white teachers. I, I, I had, yeah, me too. I'll like, I, exactly. So growing up in Atlanta, there's <laughs> a man named Mr. Jim Berto. I never forget. He drove up to my summer school at May, and he says, um. I got I I got being dyslexic. I didn't want to do math all year. So I go to summer school. I figured out going to summer school, I could get my credits in summer school. And that way I could just do an extra art course in the fall and winter. Okay. And uh, Mr. Berto said, how'd you like to learn how to fly? And I was like, I love. Let's do it. What do we need to do? And he paid me and Slim from 112 and about 12 other students, aviation mechanics and aviation. And that's when I started learning using your mind. And my father would say, who was a blue collar worker, my father would say, you know, think work smarter, not harder. And I said, man, this is what it's about. It's about figuring out beyond base education. What else can I learn while I'm here? Mm. How are the products that I could think of? How are the services I can think of? How are they valuable in the bigger marketplace and world? And what could I do? And I just I've, I've been sorting it out my whole life. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm figuring it out. I was like, oh, like you saw on a barbershop. We actually own three we own on the original barbershop on Roosevelt Highway. we own on um, One Give on Edgewood Avenue. Name. Give us a name. The swag shop, the yeah. shave, wash, and groom shop. Um, if you look at <clears throat> corporations like Floyd, like Rudy's, like Supercuts, Great Clips, traditionally these are white-owned establishments. These are white thought of. Um, for black barbershops to have such a dominant force in our community, there can be eight barbershops on one block, like over there on Martin Luther King, out of old Pascals. Right. None of them ever closed now. Hmm. So there's obviously a great business mm-hmm. in that. But no one has ever thought, let me build a brand around barbering, a lifestyle brand that masquerades as a barbershop and let me grow this.
1: A lifestyle brand that masquerades as a barbershop.
0: That's what my wife and I are doing with the swag shop. We're, I love it. Whoa, well,
1: whoa, whoa. Did you say it again? Your wife and you are doing yeah. it. So yeah, I'm the co-owner. She, I always let like people
0: know I'm the co-owner.
1: That's right. So yeah. you're doing this with your, with your wife as a businesswoman.
0: Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, absolutely.
1: absolutely. Yeah, so She's
0: sharper than me on business, so I, I listen to her a lot.
1: I know it was another time. I'm not going to tell you your business, but I know there was another time for her birthday you gave her a, a, some money to put in an investment account or whatever yep, for her yep. birthday. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. So I want you guys to think about this now. You know, you— you know, you can go get the purse or whatever you want, but those are depreciating assets. My man is investing in his woman, who is an, which is an appreciating asset. Yeah, yeah, she gets she's she, and she's investing in appreciating. Yeah, assets. Yeah, she
0: still gets some of the dope girl stuff too. Like she got the Gucci boots and the purse. <laughs> I think I bought her like 30, 20, thirty grand in stock that year, and then another year I gave her like a hundred grand for investment. So sure. I just I want because I know she's smart, her than me on many things, mm-hmm. and I don't ever want her to feel as though she's only my wife. She's a fully functioning human being. She's my partner, and I honor that. But I, I sing it like she. She's fond to tell me. She said, "Make sure you tell people." I tell you, that I sing and dance for folks for a living. You know, that's yeah. what I do. But we ain't singing and dancing once I'm off that stage. We're right. doing business,
1: right? You know? Yeah, my wife is, as you know, similarly, similarly smart, and yeah. she owns real estate and. uh Harlem, one of the few blacks that own property and still in Harlem. She had, uh, in, uh, in Miami and in uh, Chicago. I tried to buy her property in Chicago. She's like, no, you're not getting my nugget. This is my little <laughs> nugget. This is,
0: uh, you, this is my nugget.
1: I, I just asked her today to, to co-chair the, our family foundation together. And she's, she's like, you mean, you, you mean co-lead, right? Absolutely. Come <laughs> right. on, so, so, look, you, you said something earlier that reminds me of something Dr. King's, I mean, Ambassador Andrew Young said same thing, by the way, as Dr. King Dr. King's right arm. Yeah, in the civil rights movement was Dr. Mark, was Ambassador Andrew Young. He said about a decade ago, John, if African Americans and minorities lose political power and civil rights protections, I, we need the work you're going to be doing because because all we will have is economics. Yeah, and he said, I don't think we're going to ever get to this point. I don't think it's going to get that bad, but but just make sure you stay focused. And and now, unfortunately, we're at this moment, this inflection point where it looks like this is actually, you know, if everything is sort of at risk and we do need to be about economics. Mm-hmm. You said something to me. I don't know if you know how much I listen to you. I was in the car. I know exactly where I was. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. I was going around a corner at the airport on the freeway. And you said to me, John, black people need an outsized business success story, an outsized business image of itself yeah. that's not just limited to, to entertainment and sports. What do yeah. you mean by that?
0: That we have to understand that the Robert Smiths, the Michael V. Roberts, the John Hope Bryants, the Herman Russells have existed, and we have to understand that they're still in creation and existing now. Mm-hmm. We have to see ourselves as owners. And we—and I don't mean in an imaginary place, like to see ownership. Tony Rexler is the majority owner of the Hawks. Yeah. A minority owner is Grant Hill. Yeah, Tony Rexler is
1: my business partner yeah. for transparency. Yeah. And,
0: w- and one yeah, and one day they're going to have majority owners that look exactly, you know, I'm going to have more Magic Johnsons than not. So the question becomes, why aren't we talking about that as much as we're talking about the people who sing and dance and the people that run balls? Very important to sing and dance. But Mm -hmm. when I hear about a player getting a $40 to $100 million contract, my question becomes, who can afford to pay it?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So, so when you, as, as you know, Tony Ressler pays that with his, with his petty cash. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and the, bill, the billionaire is showing up in a nondescript in a car, yeah. sitting in the 10th row. He, yeah. he owns the, owns the team. Yep. He writes the check. Yep. They cash it, yep. right? Yep. And it, the ballers are running around with chains on yep. and lease Ferraris and, and, and all I, that stuff. And it's I don't, all good, by yeah, the way. I don't, I don't have, I
0: don't I don't have, have any, any problem with, with it. But just, just Jamal Mashburn it, Shaquille O'Neal it, you know, Magic Johnson. It. Figure out a way. To make sure that your image and what you're doing can make you uh money in the same way it makes money for others.
1: Mm-hmm. And understand the difference between making money and building wealth. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can be you can have lifestyle riches. Yep. Uh but you'll still go broke. Yep. You've got to you build wealth and you build wealth in, in your sleep. Let let's uh, I don't want us to run out of time before we get to, I want to get to one of your many ventures, which is uh bank Greenwood. But yep. uh, I, the larger issue for me is I'm going to come back to this issue of, of this moment in time, post George Floyd, God yep. blesses and God rest his soul. Uh, he gave li- his life so we might have light. Absolutely. Um, we are in this inflection point, man. And I don't know if this is going to come around again, but yeah. you know, I think we have 10 years in what I call a third reconstruction period. Yeah. Uh, to get this right. And and again, social justice to an economic lens is how I frame it. You may frame it completely differently. Why, why are you doing what you're doing? What are some of the things that you're doing that the audience needs to know about? How can they support it? Uh, Let's get into your vision for uh, society right now. And what's the opportunity for not just black America,
0: but all of America. Well, let me tell all of America. One thing when the black economy and the black community are strong and stable the wider community is more strong and more stable. Boom. All right. So when black families are strong, the greater community is strong. We all when, win. When black economics is strong, the greater communities economics is strong. Right? That's just what it is. So there's an there should be an interest in strengthening the black communities from from a financial standpoint, because by proxy, the wider community gets stronger. That's Banks right. get more um, loans given. Those loans get paid back on time. Those neighborhoods stabilize. They create better schools because better tax neighborhoods create better schools, creates better people in the workforce. Right. If you don't have a strong black community, then what you're doing is Achilles healing one of the greatest um, potential economic driving forces in the world. So we need to end the the the, the Achilles tendon tear by finally making good on what this country has promised us. And that's equal opportunity for all. We have not had equal opportunity. I know a lot of my white brothers and sisters listen to the radio um, on conservative stations and they hear that. Things aren't fair. You had to get it out the mud first. You, to, you, to, you, know, you hear that stuff. But you weren't redlined out of housing for 80 years. You, you were, were enslaved you, for,
1: for, for 270 yeah, years. Exactly. You were for 100 years. And that's
0: not blaming, pointing at you. Right. That's just saying that your great-grandparents, your grandparents, and your parents had an opportunity to build things like equity that paid for education in a different way. Even even in educating educating students. By you being undereducated, when I say Frederick Douglass to you, you just say, well, wow, that's a piece of black history. You don't understand. That's the most photographed person of the 19th century. That's right. He was not only an advisor to presidents yeah. and, and, and kings, he was the person that was would have, if Lincoln had not been assassinated, helped Lincoln set this country on a path of true equity for people. He the, was a
1: Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela of the 1800s.
0: All wrapped into one. All you in know, one. Yeah. And, and Times you, two. Absolutely. Yeah. And had the Freedmen's Bank been successful and not been sabotaged and really had been able to see, this country would be stronger economically now because it wouldn't have been walking on an Achilles heel because Jim Crow laws allowed part of it to be kept 80 years behind. So well, By the way, a, he owned
1: $6 million worth of real estate in Baltimore, Maryland. Absolutely. And rented it out to working class blacks, which gave him the financial freedom to be a civil rights leader and a social justice leader. Back to you.
0: Absolutely. So for me, what I want for myself and for my wife is to build our individual wealth because my grandparents told me, take care of yourself first. That individual wealth will help us take care of, educate, and take care of not only our family, but our friends and families and our direct community around us. The stronger our community is, the more we become a prototype for other communities to do the same. That's why I want Atlanta to win. That's why I want City of South Fulton to win. I want DeKalb County to win. I want Douglasville to win. I want newly elected people in Cobb County to win that look like me. Because if that happens, then this state becomes an economic example for what's possible in Florida, North Florida, what's possible in w- Lower and Eastern Alabama, what's possible in the Carolinas. You have 54% of African Americans living in the South. Imagine if the South, once again, you know, past the King, the King Cotton days, where you had the planter class who used a poor white class as a buffer mm-hmm. between them and those people that were slaves. Mm-hmm. You could finally in South Georgia have equality amongst working class men because they're both making equal wages. At the time the civil rights movement was happening, the, most, the, the biggest group of people against unionizing and civil rights were poor white men in Mississippi <laughs> who were being underpaid that's by right. factories, right. used by master class who looked just like them, and then pitted against working class men whose fight for unions made it better for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's, the, that's the pit we have to stop falling into. What I would like to see for this country is for this country to rise to James Baldwin's challenge and realize that we're not going to pack up and go back to Europe. (laughs) We're not going to pack up and go back to Africa. What we we can do is figure out a cooperative living here, a cooperative push for One America in a way that One America does not have to be ruled by one class of Americans, not by one color, not by one creed, that we could finally take the best of George Washington Carver with the best of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We can take the best of Frederick Douglass, with the best policies that were signed, even though reluctantly by Lyndon Baines Johnson, and we could create something that's new and something that delivers on the promise of equality and equity for all. If we could do that, if we were willing to put our egos to the side, this could possibly be the greatest country that ever came.
1: Amen. And when Madam C.J. Walker, uh, the first black millionaire, won, uh, her white suppliers won.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Uh, when when uh, when uh, uh, Doctor Dorothy Height, who counseled twelve presidents, National Council of Negro Women, when she advised uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, yep. uh, a white the white uh, f- uh, female uh, wife of the president, the whole nation won. Absolutely. Uh, that, that today the color is not white, black, red, brown, or yellow. The color is green.
0: It always has co- been. Color,
1: that's right. It's not red or blue, as in political parties. As mm-hmm. you say, it's always been green. Yep. We just never haven't ever, ever had this straight conversation. I want people listening to this, and please tell everybody you know to listen to this podcast and pass it on. I want people to listen to this. I mean, we need to make things like this go viral. This has been a wonderful conversation. I want people to listen to this who are afraid of black progress. I want them to understand that this is about, to quote my friend Stephanie Rule. this is about expanding the table and adding a seat. Mm-hmm. This is not about a zero-sum game of we win and you lose. There's four things that have mm-hmm. never gone backwards mike in all of world history american history real estate values they've gone up yeah gone down uh took we then unfortunately we've sold on the dip (laughs) when it went down (laughs) went back up corrected above the line yeah came down again corrected above the line went back up stock market values same thing went up crash went down we sold in the dip because we were afraid correct financial illiteracy corrected above the line yeah kept uh, GDP gross domestic product our yeah. income for this country never gone down and the prospects of a 55 year old college educated white man has never gone backwards in the, in the history of this country there's nothing for, from our white brothers and sisters to worry about because when we win they win yeah. when we succeed they succeed because all boats rise GDP increases the economy expands yeah. I want that that message to be heard loud and clear yeah. That, that either we succeed together as brothers and sisters, or we will die together as fools. Yeah. You can take no pleasure from the fact that there's a hole in my end of our boat. And that's why I love for a guy like you who's got so much social currency, who's so bilingual. I love seeing you uh, go from Wall Street to Main Street <laughs> <laughs> from, from the Black Street to the Latino Street. Yeah. I love it love that you started you, that your music crosses all racial yeah. uh, barriers. By the way, tell us a little bit about your music and I'm I'm yeah.
0: one half of a rap group called Runner Jewels. it's me and a white guy from Brooklyn. Okay. Um uh, me and Jamie Moline, better known as LP the creative of Duff Jux Records, formerly a member of Company Flow. To me the greatest rapper producer um in the world cuz he writes his own raps. I sit there and watch him do it. He produces his own beats. I sit there and watch him do it. I um I I it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. You know, I tried mm. alone. I I I pushed along and had moderate success, had a lot of critical, um, you know, a lot of a critical clapping. But what I didn't have were the I had a one goal record, but I didn't have a hugely successful singles career like my, say, good friend T.I. Mm. T.I. can make a hit record in his sleep, wake up, do it again after a nap. Um, what I have is one of the most successful touring groups in the world. When LP and I start working together within the first three hours, I call the guy who put it together like, we're supposed to be making beats. This is like Bomb mm. Squad and Ice Cube together. Um, <laughs> since then, in the last 10 years, 10 years next year will be the anniversary of rap music, the first solo record he produced um, that came right out of William Street, right over, right, not, not too far from here. And then we formed a group. And there's something about cooperation and collaboration that makes it unstoppable. Mm. And he and I have co- cooperated, collaborated. He's one of my best friends in the world. We make some of the best rap music in the world. We give some of the best shows. And next year, come March, We'll be opening for Rage Against the Machine um, for, for the full year. We're going to be out there. I love it. You know, and sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, my, my wife says going to go make a lot of money. We're going to invest in Barry, and we'll visit in 20 years, you know.
1: So you're not just doing this for you. Every time you say something, it, it's a we. It's,
0: yeah, yeah, it's,
1: we it's, are. Yeah, it's, in other words, you're trying to grow something for your family yeah. legacy, your family generational wealth, for your community. Got
0: to do it. So, so you're better to, you, you believe that we're better together. Yeah, we are. I mean, what are we, you know, what What? Do you, what can you, you know, if everyone does a little, nobody has to do a lot. Mm. You know, I truly believe that. Mm. If all of us do our little part, no one has to do a lot. Mm. If there's one house on the block whose yard is constantly unkept, if we as neighbors agree to meet there on Saturday, we could spend two hours and that yard is kept all of a sudden. Mm. You know, and I'm not saying that because that's a philosophy. I'm saying that because that's what we did in my neighborhood. Mm. I remember cutting Miss Ruby's yard and my grandmother getting 20 bucks one time. I thought I got 20 bucks every time coming. She was like, no, you're not going to charge her. I was like, why? I said, because she lived here before you did. <laughs> she picked up stuff off the streets before you did. That's right. That's you know, right. And I, what I, when I understood whether it was there or us going to Sadie Mae Nursing Home to help people on Sundays is that you owed something to the people who had laid the foundation before you, yes. and the owing was was actual sweat. The owing was your little bit of of a piece of your income going into the pot that made sure that groceries, you know, got around. You know, so I owe. So I say we because it is truly we. I can't do this shit by myself. <laughs> you know, I, I married. I married. I married the woman I married because you know she's beautiful. Girl got got great bumpers. You know, top and bottom. But <laughs> with that said, man, her mentality. I love it. Her mentality The producers like,
1: go just dying over there, great <laughs> bumpers, top yeah, and bottom. Yeah, like,
0: you know, she's built like a Ferrari, man, sexy lines, but that's it's, a, her, it's her mind. And that's Shea know? and Shea, my yeah, Shea and his Shea. Absolutely, it's, yeah. her, it's her mind. I knew yeah. that as an artist, I could get frivolous, I could get dreamy and flighty. She wants to know the numbers, right? you know, and that that's important that you have right. that balance. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 mm. talks about that, talks about the type of woman, and I'm not even- I was raised in church, but I'm I'm not the most religious guy. But the lessons and the moral lessons that you learn, mm. were I've I've kept for most of my life, and I appreciate my grandmother for imposing them on me.
1: I was talking to Shea, my Shader this morning. It's my shade loves your Shay. Yeah, and they was, home. Yeah, they're homies. And I was talking <laughs> about uh, 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 they hung out so, so so late one night. I had to go home and go back and get pick her up later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I was talking to her this morning about a donation that we're going to make, and wanted to check it with her, make sure she was she was cool with it from a transaction I'm doing. And she's like, this is cool, John. It's really nice you're doing it. What are you getting? <laughs> she's like, what? I, I don't see anything in here about what you're getting. Like, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, you, you're not going to spend all this time building up this company, whatever, and then you don't get anything. Now, that, that dog don't hunt. Charity starts at home. She wanted to make sure that, that her man was okay. Yeah, yeah. You need you need, yeah. Some, you need something other than just arm candy, yeah. just something other than cute. cute, yeah. cute you, look, when you go to the, the folks, young people, there's some young, young people watching, listening to this podcast. I want you to do something. When you go to the COVID-friendly uh, vaccinated club, <laughs> by the way, I got the booster shot and just walked right through some COVID stuff last week without being touched. So I'm telling you, the booster <laughs> shot works. But you go, into the, you, 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 you go to the vaccinated club or whatever, and you in there, and you see somebody attractive. Good guy, you see a fine woman. Ladies, you see a handsome man. You say, oh, baby, you're so fine. You're so good. That's cool. By the way, what's your name? Okay, cool. What's your credit score? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to ask the credit score? What are you passionate about? Yeah. What's your purpose? Absolutely. Uh, are we better together? Absolutely. Because two plus two should equal six or eight. Yeah. Uh, uh or, you know, can you raise children? Uh, can you Can you run a household? Yeah. If I build a house, can you make, can you turn it into a home? Yeah. Or, you know or what what's your vision? we're going to build something and yeah. we just well, we we have this is your partner, this is yeah, your business absolutely, partner absolutely, absolutely. your life partner absolutely. is serious right
0: absolutely 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 absolutely
1: absolutely so so mike let's, let's 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 let you drop the the mic here as we wrap this thing up man if if if, if this all is about building right yeah, This is about building the good life, yeah, and I, I don't tell people what good life they should want I just talk about know. building building self-esteem yeah. building your community, build your spirituality, build your net worth, build your financial literacy. Yeah. What's your building, as we wrap this thing up, what is your building advice that you have for the listeners? What what vision do you have that you want to leave these folks with? And by the way, when you finish, how can they reach you? How can they support you? But what's your, and we didn't talk, we didn't talk about Greenwood. Yeah. Uh, so you, you can yeah. include that if you like. But yeah. what 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 is, before we get out of here, what's your building pearl of wisdom?
0: Well, uh, fo- follow at Bank Greenwood and follow at Killer Mike, and you can learn more about Greenwood. well going to be talking about that. It's a fintech company focused on the black and Latinx community, um, focused on building wealth, focused on making sure we are banking and not just simply um, check cashing places purveyors. Um In terms of what's my personal philosophy on building, I don't know if it applies to you, but what I do know what has helped me is in dreaming far bigger than I currently dream. That means whatever my biggest dream is now, force yourself to dream bigger. Mm. I wanted to own... Um, my uncle's garage who owned he was the first business owner that that I just admired. And my wife says, Now that you've gotten a, a building to do your offices, I'm gonna take this and we're gonna go four flows up and we're gonna build apartments. I never thought of that. She thought of that, you mm. know, so be with someone that thinks their dreams bigger than you if you're not. Live less than people suspect. Um you know, live below your means. If you can get the million-dollar home, get the half-million-dollar home. Mm, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right, right. You don't You don't have to show everything. I always tell people, you know, be cool, act lame. Whoa. Be rich, play broke. You know? Those are the things. And this is all things I just learned from old people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So be modest. Um, like, for the jewelry I have on the day, I have lots more jewelry. I wore this just because it's my mother and my grandmother. Mm. This watch I bought off a widow who just had, you know, she didn't want to keep her husband's watch. She didn't want someone to have it who wouldn't care about it. Right. So I bought it off. You know, I didn't, I have never would have bought a Rolex with diamonds. Yeah, right. Um, but if it would help a friend out and it keep it around and she do not take care of it, I did it. Right. My favorite Rolex is a Submariner. My wife bought me for my birthday mm. with no jewels in it. It's mm. just beautiful blue and gold. I'd always wanted a Submariner. Yeah. I was... Didn't need to watch after that. So I try my very best to live like my grandfather. At 50, I'll probably just start wearing overalls and work boots like him. Mm. You know, so, you know, be cool. Egg lame, You know what I'm saying? Mm. Be rich. Play broke. Mm. You know, just just be be modest. Be. My friend Bear told me, Bear Loke of Bear Strong, shouts out to them. They just collected a bunch of money and stuff um, for kids who don't have Christmas and essentials. Like, you know, the underwear, socks, the winter coat, stuff like that. And we're going to go to Four Seasons, I think, this Sunday and give some stuff away. But Bear says, you know, when you hear the meek shall inherit earth, you often think the weak, weak, meek people aren't weak. A meek man will have a sword and have the ability to kill you. But simply because he knows you're a fool, Mm. won't, you know, he says, so the the intelligent will, those that are prepared for war, but don't have to engage in it. Those are going to be the inheritors because they're using their mind. You know, if you read the art of war, it talks about the ultimate form of war being able to solve the problem with your mind talks about the brother whose name is known. Not, not even outside the house cause he can see sickness before it ever forms and correct behaviors that start sickness. So just try to be that, try to use your mind on a daily basis. You know, think it's nothing, it's nothing shameful about making a mistake, make the mistake, learn from the mistake, adjust and, and try it again. You know, give yourself some time and give yourself a break. Don't beat yourself up for failing. You know, um, I would almost say expect failure. Don't expect failure and just later and say I failed, but expect something not to go perfect. Mm. So when it doesn't, you learn from the imperfections and mm. you start to appreciate the skills you developed as a result of it. Mm. That's all and accept correction. You've had to call me and correct me. <laughs> and you you have to accept correction. You know? well, it was done in love. <laughs> but but, but, but yeah, absolutely it was done in love and right. you wouldn't have corrected me. Some right. people, you know, when people don't love you, they'll just watch you fail right. and watch you be a fool. Right. But accept correction. Hmm. You know, I know people are used to hearing sexier stuff, hmm. but, but, you know, it very, very plainly, very, very simple stuff, very, very... Um, using common sense, you know, trusting your intuition when something sounds too good to be true, you know, doing your homework, really doing your due diligence, that type of stuff comes into play, you know, and I think you'll be okay. And realize that much like my great grandparents realized, we are the cornerstone for something greater. Mm. I don't, my great grandmother, I knew so she was, I was 10 years old, I think when she died, but I was the sickly child. They sent us to the farm. I got asthma. I can't do much. I'm scared of everything. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I'll never forget a dog got at a chicken. And I went in and I said, Big Mom, big the dog's at the chicken. She came out, pulled a 22 like out of her apron pile, popped the dog like a wild dog right mm. in the thigh. It skidded out of there. She picked up the chicken, rang the neck. The chicken hand is in her the chicken head is in her hand. The chicken I was just playing with is running around headless. mm she looks at me and says, go fetch me some water. And so I run out the back door all the way to the lake, and I tell my cousins, like, Big Mama went crazy. She killed the dogs. She killed the chickens. You're going to kill us all. And they laughed at me. They brought the girls' brought the water back, and water was boiling. That chicken was plucked. That chicken was on the table at three 3.30 because she wasn't going to waste that chicken, even if the mm. dog got it. But she took me behind the house later on, fed me some ice cream, and just kind of sat and had a moment with me because what she understood is that I was afraid, I was scared, but I wasn't above learning. That's right. I had to understand where food really came from. Yeah. I had to understand in the process to learn not to waste. Yeah. And I had to learn to not to let fear consume me. And after that moment, I was never the same. After yeah. that moment, I was much stronger on that farm. After that moment, I was much more brave, much more adventurous. But it took her having to show me this is, the world is hard, yeah. the world is not fair, but you're built for it. You're a child. You're mostly made of water. You fall, you'll get back up, wipe mm-hmm. you all You know, I'll never forget one time I peed in my pants on the farm. She just put me in front of a fire, let me dry out, sent me back outside. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and and I, I have been blessed to have been around people that did not protect me from struggle. Mm. Run into the fight.
1: That's right. You know? At Rainbows after storms. Absolutely. So, here we go with another master class. My man, Killer Mike, a.k.a. Michael Rinder has proven that you can be high-tech and high-touch. You can go from your street to Main Street to Wall Street and back. You can be authentic. You can speak the king's English and translate into job if you want to and retain your dignity, your uh, authenticity, uh, and and show your intelligence all in the same breath. He tells you to run into the fight. Don't Don't run away from it. He tells you that the calmest place in the hurricane is the center. He tells you that we may want to be locked into fear as I talk about in Love Leadership, or we want to embrace struggle as what happens when you're dealing with drama all the time. Then you get a surviving mentality. He tells you to rise above that and find the light and gain a thriving mentality. And then a winning mentality because winners are builders. Everybody who's a winner believes they're a winner before they ever won anything. And going back to every segment of Michael's story, even though he was, wasn't really raised by his mom and his dad, he was raised by his grandparents. He had all he was raised so-called poor. He was raised in underserved areas. He had he didn't have the advantages, but he made his own advantage. He over the rounded through it. He just got to it. He decided he was going to build his life. And he was going to live his life to maximum potential. Reminds me of Dr. King said that you are going to be a trash collector, be the best trash collector the world's ever seen. Whatever you do, do it with excellence. Do it with your whole life. Lean in it with 100% and run into the fight. This is John Hope Bryant, and this has been Building the Good Life.
0: Building the Good Life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial.